All right. So this is the beginning of what I hope to be a series of conversations with Bonnie and Bob. We have a friendship that started in 2015 um, about this time of year. I think it was, uh, yeah, I mean, about the summertime of 2015 when Bob and his wife, Kelly, stumbled in to the house church, house church Tulsa, and um, they were an answer to prayer. Um, and and it was kind of funny at that, at that time because um, I, a little bit about my positionality, I am a, a white cisgender female in a monogamous same-sex marriage. I am 45 years old. I was born in 1978 in Sacramento, California. And we are making this recording on native land, not exactly which sure which tribes land we're, we are sitting on. And Bob and I are in uh, two separate locations today, but just a couple of blocks away from each other. So... I'm at the church. I'm at I'm at house church in my office, and Bob is um, in his office at home on on Rockford Place, just a couple of blocks away. Um, so that's where to go. What'd you say? <laughs> yeah, I, well, and we're having internet trouble, so you'll have to say it again. I said now all the stalkers will know where to go. <laughs> I know that's exactly what I thought of right away, but uh, hopefully, hopefully the type of of listeners that are listening are not interested in stalking us. Yeah, only in a good way. <laughs> um, and so at the beginning of House Church, we started House Church in two thousand fourteen. Um, all we had was. A bunch of people that looked like me, that looked like me and had similar relationships to what I had. And whenever we would get, whenever the spirit, I will say, would draw people that were of different kinds of uh, different kinds of relationships, different sexual orientations and gender expressions, it was always a, a point of just celebration that we would um, gather diversity in in the house and so that everyone would not be as the same <laughs> and in those early days you know people would ask me if it was a girl church if house church was a girl church they don't seem to ask that to male pastors they don't ask male pastors hey is this a boy church but um we're still breaking down those stereotypes and those um preconceived notions about what it means for for women to be in leadership um, but I'm just happy to have my good friend. We've been through um, a lot of ups and downs together um, over the last eight years, but really our relationship, our friendship was forged in a series of conversations. And I think that's why we are start, we're basically calling this uh, conversations with Bonnie and Bob, um, going back to the beginning, to the origins of our friendship, um, which have taken many turns over the years. But um, basically we started meeting, I think maybe on the Maybe it was Tuesday mornings. I, I think it was Tuesday mornings that we meet 
at at a coffee shop down on on Cherry Street in Tulsa that is no longer there. Um, it's turned into like a little um, uh, just a little uh, travel uh, travelers oh, Tulsa Oklahoma like souvenir shop. Um, but we would meet, and sometimes I think we I think initially before I really knew what what it was going to bloom into, we thought, oh, we'll just meet for about an hour meet for an hour and many times our conversations would last two or three hours all about scripture and theology and um questions that i had so beginning in 2015 and and 2016 i was very much um a you know steeped in conservative evangelicalism um my my christianity my brand of christianity was kind of a lesser known brand of uh, called word of faith and uh people use it now as a term especially in these in this part of oklahoma if you are associated with word of faith it's almost uh i have heard people call it a cult so i i don't know if i would go that far but i think maybe the technical term of a cult could it could qualify as that but i have made room in my heart and in my life to continue to um, be thankful for my beginnings in that particular brand of Christianity and thankful for what I learned in those churches and in those schools. Um, But again, very much a conservative Christian um, evangelical perspective, uh, which is very, very different from a lot of mainstream denominations like Catholicism um, and, you know, some of the more liturgical in nature churches, you know, ours was a non-denominational type uh, charismatic upbringing where we believed that the Bible was the inerrant, infallible word of God. Um, the 66 books of the Protestant Bible, that was um, not the 72 or the other numbers of, of books that are part of the Apocrypha or the Catholic Bible or the Jewish Bibles. Um, I, I had some training. I had some training. I had some education and I had a big passion to preach and to share the love of God um, with my generation. I had always felt that way. I'd always felt called, if you want to use that word, called of God. Um, and so when I started House Church Tulsa, basically started from that framework, but I had taken about a decade to work out and reconcile my sexual orientation with my spiritual uh, origins in in conservative Christianity. And I thought I had married the two pretty well. I I thought that my sin of of homosexuality was just the same as anybody else's sin and that at least um that jesus had taken away the sin of the world and had covered my sin just as he had covered the sins of anybody else and so with about 90 percent conviction that i wasn't going to go to hell if i were to die I followed my passion and and with a group of daring and courageous souls that decided to join with me, we started a church. And uh, 
we did a lot of of uh, initial uh, crowdsourcing, I think, just to see if I, if other people, you know, I didn't want to just chart out on my own and be a lone ranger. I didn't want to start something that no one else believed in. And so we got a fair amount of people that saw that there was a gift there and saw that, you know, that they could join, join me and um, we're going to stand with me. And they still are with me to this day. They're still, they're still, still with me um, all these years later, nine years later. Um, but Bob, Bob and Kelly came and I was, so I basically was starting a church. If you can imagine, because for those that are used to house church now, it, it's, it's really changed a lot over the years, the theology, the way that I administer, the way that I teach or deliver messages, um, the way that we interact has changed so significantly. But I think the best way to say it is there at the beginning, I was, uh, every bit of every bit, um, what I had been raised with only I was accepting and open. I was like, okay. And I think that, that the queer population are going to heaven. And that was about it, but I didn't pursue much uh, else, um, until Bob. And so Bob and Kelly um, started coming around and felt like they had 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 landed with us and and asked me to go out to coffee to talk about the Bible and talk about uh, heaven and talk about hell and uh, sin and what sin was. And it was a it was during those conversations. And it turned out that we met every week for at least three years. I think. Do you think that's right? That's right. Yeah. It was, I think, from like the last part of 2015 till 18 or 19, 2019, maybe 18. And then we opened it up. We opened up our conversations um, later on after it was just that, you know, the two of us, we opened up the conversations and we called it Coffee and Theology and invited other people to come. We loved those days when we had Coffee and Theology and we had other voices in the room right before the pandemic, we were meeting at a coffee shop and a nice group of people would come out and we had great conversations that would last again, two, three, four hours. Sometimes long after people would leave, Bob would still be there at one or two o'clock in the afternoon talking to people. And then the pandemic came and we continued Coffee and Theology over Zoom. And we recorded all of those that are still on this podcast. All those archives are there. That's when we actually started recording them because we didn't record anything in person you know for all those years so we lost <laughs> lost i should say we didn't lose it it's still with us very much so informing um our daily practice but i thought i i have come through quite a bit post pandemic and i and bob has too and i want bob to share a little bit about you know his gender and sexual orientation and and all of that good stuff um before we get started, but I, it's like, there's this bandwidth that's opened up emotionally for me to start doing things like this again. Um, that wasn't there for a while, for, for a couple of years. I, I didn't understand how low I had gotten emotionally right around 2020, 2021, 2022 until I was able with my my therapist to 
to take a, a little test that measured <laughs> that measured my emotional well-being and man i i was pretty far down and no wonder i mean i was barely kind of surviving um emotionally and i set some goals for myself over the last year and with the help of my my spouse and my therapist and good friends I've been able to kind of slowly crawl my way out of uh, of that place and have bandwidth again to to do stuff that I enjoy. And one of the things that I enjoy is having conversations with Bob and just the oftentimes what happens for me, and I know the same thing happens for you. When we get into one of our good conversations and however long it is, doesn't matter if it's long or short, whatever, but we know when we've hit the geyser because both of us are, we're, we're in joy. We are, our frequency is elevated. We, we feel like we've hit it, you know, and who was it that said every day he has to preach the gospel? Martin Luther. And what, how did he say it? Basically the, the gospel of grace is of such that one needs to go and preach it every day because otherwise he would forget it himself. And it's, it's the principle as I see it. And I've experienced this my whole life um, from Proverbs, he who waters will himself be watered. And so I've always done that whenever I've, felt a little depressed or whatever because uh, I've had that tendency throughout my whole life just my personality type and um, and I would purpose to to think of someone that I knew you know ask the Holy Spirit to tell me somebody who needs a call for me right now I'll call them and, and by the end of the conversation they would feel way better I would have exhorted them to a point usually 99% of the time, hopefully. And I would have also come out of my funk. It was like it helped me get out of my head and out and thinking of uh, others. And in uh, doing that, it, it releases it automatically. The spirit just is right there and just starts pouring out. And everybody around, including yourself, gets splashed. And so you get filled with the joy of the Lord. It really is true. And so I think you know, you, and, and people that have struggled with with uh, emotional things and and mental mental instability, hormone hormone, whatever the case is, what why ever we get off of our 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 balance and our our grounded feelings, um, it uh, it's kind of a vicious circle because the thing that you need the most is the thing you don't feel like doing the most. So you don't do it, you don't do it, and you don't do it, and you don't do it. And so you feel worse and you feel worse. And I just have ha had that experience. And by, by some supplements um, that I have, I've shared with everybody so much that I can't keep them on the shelves at natural grocers. Every They're always out when I go to pick them up. So sometimes I have to get them, order them, um, on Amazon, but I really love to support local. So I try to go to natural grocers and, and buy it, but I share it with so, so many people that they can't keep it in stock themselves, but it's called mood lift. And it's just two, two herbal supplements a day. And, and you know, along with 
getting good sleep and eating well and exercising and, you know, all the things that go into self-care and, and I would say soul care as well. And so today is kind of exciting to me. Um, and Bob, Lord, we nearly lost you physically in 2021 to 2022, right? Like, so was it? Yeah. like a little bit of, yeah, your- right. Yeah, the first uh, first of 2022, because I got I got COVID right at the end of 2020, like right near my birthday. It was official diagnosis, and then uh, but it was the pneumonia, the post COVID pneumonia that got me. It knocked out my immune system in my lungs, which I wasn't aware was a possibility. And then I got just a regular old bacterial pneumonia, but I just thought it was lingering COVID. And so I just, and I didn't bother to go get any, um, uh, antibiotics because I thought, well, COVID is a virus that isn't going to do anything until one day I had to call you and Kelly and the two of you came and literally had to carry me in a car because <laughs> I'm too cheap to call an ambulance. I'm never going to, I'll literally die before I'll I'll spend any money on an ambulance. You know that now, how cheap I am. <laughs> and uh, and well, you guys literally you know how to fix things. <laughs> um, that's That was at the end of 2021, not 2020, because you didn't get COVID at the end but of 2020. I got in, 20, in 2020, December 2020, like December 13th, right on my birthday, I, uh, Kelly had got, was feeling a little funky. So I went down to a clinic and uh, just a few blocks from here and where they drive up, you drive in and they took my, um, or maybe that was, maybe it's 2021. December it had to be 2021 because you but, went yeah, that yeah, yeah, whole yeah. Yeah. year. 2020 was before anybody knew. Yeah. Yep. And so it was at the very end of 2021. Yep. December and then because uh, I don't I don't know what I like what is it 2030 right now <laughs> I, I don't know dates or times or I really don't my and the older I'm getting I they they mean less and less to me and and I uh, I've just grown to become accustomed to that anyway I mean I'm uh, surprised yeah, we got you 2022 here on time yeah. I'm sorry just for like, I'm surprised we got you here on time at a time. I mean, we're only an hour later than what we planned, but it's, it was be, not because of you because of internet stuff, but um, no, I know that time doesn't mean much to you, but would you share a little bit about your um, like, I'm looking at you and I know you, but could you just describe yourself Um your gender expression, sexual orientation, all the all the things that you know about sure. yourself. General rundown. So um, I am a, a a boy who was born a boy who likes girls, and <laughs> that's the way I always was. I like girls a lot when I was I couldn't wait to get married that's all I wanted to do when I was a kid and asked my mom when I was 13 how old do you have to be I was going to negotiate how old do you have to be to get married I think 21 and I was thinking she'd say 18 and I would could somehow get her to 16 and then I could narrow it down to 15 or 14 because I was 13 and was ready I'm like I can't wait any longer 
And uh, she said 21, I think, or maybe, no, 25. She said 25, I think, is a good age. And I'm like, I wasn't ready for that. I'm like, how the hell can I wait till I'm 25? That's like o- over a lifetime, That's <laughs> what I've already lived. And um, there was no way I, in my mind I was going to make it. And I was 28 before I got married. Um, born in California, not too far from where you were in Riverside, near, uh, near Disneyland. And um, was there for a few years, moved to Colorado because of my sister's health. She had uh, all kinds of health issues. and and um, But dry climate of Denver, the doctor said for her asthma, was just, just one thing would at least help her to breathe. And so we moved there. And that was where my grandparents lived. And that's important because my grandfather was an itinerant minister in the Church of God, one from Anderson, Indiana. Uh, not the snake handlers from Tennessee, he would always say. Um, and they believed in the Holy Spirit and they weren't even against speaking in tongues per se. But um, some within the church were because they'd had run-ins with that church in various towns. So that is actually the beginning of my spiritual heritage, which was right from at, at early, early age. Because when we were four, we moved there and we immediately began to attend my grandfather's church. And my grandfather, like many ministers, would attack people directly in the in the congregation from the pulpit. (laughs) And my father was the the recipient of that. And um, so he would say things like, if you smoke, you're going to hell. And both of my parents smoked and they were like the only people in the church. Most of the people were older and um, didn't smoke. That's just that that denomination didn't smoke, didn't drink. Makeup was, you know, not like a big thing. Clothing wasn't like a big thing, but it was definitely the more overall conservative. And they didn't even play with playing cards. You could play with rook cards. They were big into rook. Uh, but you couldn't have playing cards because that was that would lead to gambling. Sure. And dancing led to babies. And heavy makeup led to petting, which led to babies. And so, you know, everything eventually it wasn't necessarily to babies. Anything wrong with babies, it was the act that made the babies that was it was it was having the babies before people were wed and they, <laughs> they that was the big thing in so many many of the denominations that I grew up in but that was the first and so right off the bat my grandpa's you know uh, pushing in this belief system about an eternal torment which to my little logical mind uh, and that my parents were going to be there and yet he kept telling me how much God loved me and my grandma told me how much God loved me and how we were all going to be in heaven and but it was causing great turmoil nightmares and, and night after night of quietly sobbing in my room because I'm picturing literally what that was going to be like my little brain would go forever and ever and ever and ever my parents will be somewhere i can't get to them and they will never get to me and all i will know forever is that they are suffering in turmoil 
while I'm with my grandparents, but that brought me no joy at all. Mm-mm. I couldn't think of. I never thought about what the beauty of heaven was going to be like, because that to me was gross to be thinking about that while my parents would languish in an eternal torment. Mm-hmm. So that's where my that caused me to to weep until my mom broke in one night when I was only four and a half and asked me why 10 night after I'd been in bed two or three hours, why I was still crying. And I told her that, you know, I finally told her that it was because I was going to live forever without her and daddy. And then I started crying again. And she said, well, why do you, why do you think we're going to be in hell? And I, and I found smoke. And my mom just burned just started laughing, which totally I didn't know what to do with that, but it it instantly stopped my weeping because I could hardly breathe. I was crying so so deeply. And and she said, Well, who told you that? Why would you think we're gonna be there? And I said, Well, because grandpa said that if you smoke, you go to hell. And she said, God's not gonna send us to hell because we smoke, silly. Uh-huh. And so that uh began my religious um indoctrination into doctrines of demons with my grandfather <laughs> and yet with my the a doctrine of of a completely different doctrine the gospel it really was a good news to me that everything my grandpa said may not be true mm-hmm. and so that already i began to set up and realize that not everything I hear from someone in authority is necessarily true. I need to find out for myself. And so that's what, the, even then, I already had begun um, what I've still done to this day because my little brain is a, it, it just has, it sees everything as um, puzzles, um, logic puzzles. It's like why first thing every morning uh, when I get up, um, when I'm sipping my uh, dandy blend, I don't drink coffee in the first thing in the morning. I don't drink coffee now till 10, um, as we discussed, but um, I do love it. It's really tasty. And uh, I will I will play solitaire after I, my first readings of reading scripture or whatever. And then I will do and I because that's a good thing for your brain. They say that's a great exercise and um, to keep your brain active. And I love it. I've gotten... Well, I'm glad to hear, I, I was really kind of mortified that you play solitaire before you read the scripture. So I'm glad you said you read the scripture. Yeah, no, that would be, that would send <laughs> hell if I, <laughs> that's a joke, everybody. You don't, uh, if you don't pray and have your quiet time first thing. Yes, and have any fast but... and uh, pray in the spirit and um, sing a psalm before you. <laughs> You know, it will, it will, uh, so anyway. But I happen yeah, to know, to me, well, yeah. real quickly though, I happen to know your wife's, one of your wife's rituals first thing in the morning. Um, and that leads me to help, help us understand your family dynamic. Cause you kind of, you, as you will often do, you tend to talk more about your spiritual formation than you do your physical family. And, but we do, we did, we did get at least that you were born a boy and you love girls. And so yep. how long have you been married? And how many kids do you have? I um, met my unbelievably wonderful, patient, generous, absolutely gorgeous wife 
um, many, many years ago. Um, and, uh, when I was 27 and, uh, walked into a church one morning and, um, she was up in the choir loft and singing with her hands thrown up as any time she's singing. That's when she's worshiping. She's always, uh, uh, lost in worship with her hands up and, um, very grateful to the father for, for her, uh, her life. And, uh, and the Holy spirit said, that's your wife. And I was like, Oh, now that I, that's what I learned and knew when, uh, Adam said, now that's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. <laughs> the colloquialism for, Are you kidding me? And, uh, so it took me quite a while. I, I was very patient. I won't go into it now. I didn't claim her or anything. Wasn't one of those things. I didn't have somebody claim me up until the literally at my wedding. And once we the words were on, he said she got up and left because she had claimed me. We found out later, and um, oh was God. sure that I was going to literally at the before she was sitting smiling at the front row, wearing wearing a dress because she had claimed me and knew that I was going to uh, stop and turn around and say, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't know what I'm doing." <laughs> the wrong this is my the wrong bride i anyway, forgot about that the um, days in the 80s right that was like in the 80s or yeah. in the early yeah yes. that was kind of a popular thing in non-denominational charismatic circles that people would would name and claim name and claim even claim your claim your spouse yeah like that's like you know you you it on Amazon and now you doesn't matter what, what that person thinks. I, I laid claim to him. <laughs> crazy talk. That is crazy. Anyway, that's I probably shouldn't have said that because that person may one day listen to this. And uh but love you out there. Really <laughs> serious. Uh um so yeah so then we um got married and we have three children and um they are all adults and doing wonderfully adulting. And um, they've been gone from the home for many years. So we've been empty nesters for, gosh, uh, going on 10 years, I think. And um, which is amazing. That's just like crazy. That means a third of, uh, almost a third of our marriage, we've already been empty nesters. Mm. And uh, which is, uh, it just, time goes so fast. The older you get, six, I'm going to be 62 later this year. And it just absolutely flies faster and faster it's like weeks are months are weeks now mm -hmm. um but um yeah so thank yeah. you for sharing that part because i just i wanted everybody to get a picture of kind of who you are and and what your physical life and you spent many years of your career paint as a painter yes and, um and then you know how to fix everything um, yeah, that was all uh, um, necessity is the mother of invention. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a kind of a cheapskate. I just and, and really the reason for that is, is uh, honestly, is a lack of just trusting other people. And I because I got my first experience with having my 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 very first car I had my favorite car. Well, it wasn't my very, very first car, but my first car that I bought a 69 Mustang and. 
pay $1,200 for it back in the 70s when it was only like six or seven years old when I bought it. And I took the place and they charged me six or $700 to adjust the valves, which anybody who knows anything about those old 351s, you can do that in about an hour with a, uh, back then about a $4 set of feeler gauges and a couple of uh, wrenches. And it just, it just takes a couple hours and maybe, a, you know, head gasket. I mean, uh, um, uh, about a couple valve cover gaskets and um, very simple operation. And I was, when I got the bill, I'm like, are you kidding me? $600 for just the labor for a few hours. And again, it, it doesn't really take that long. The shop ripped me off. And then a second time happened with a transmission. And I was like, that's it. I am never paying a mechanic to touch a car. I don't, I don't have two different places. Both of them ripped me off. And I was like, never going to happen again. I'm going to do it all myself. So I, I'm a self-taught mechanic and I have done thousands of operations on thousands of vehicles. Literally, I've helped so many people over the years because I just hate seeing people waste money on uh, poor mechanics. Well, it's been such a blessing that that you're, you know, you've worked on so many cars at House Church and all the churches that you've been a part of and the communities you've been a part of. <coughs> it's been good. Um and you know how to do, you know, just so many different things. And so we have had just a, a friendship that really, I think, was forged in these deep conversations. I remember so many Tuesday mornings with you. Um, I would leave. I Well, in the middle of the conversations, tears would just be just streaming down my face. And and sometimes you'd be crying. I would be crying just as the like real the real reality of how expansive the love of god is and right. how actually good the scripture is um even when at first read it can sound uh very full of judgment and very rulesy and uh, even violent and uh, the stories we, we would go through we didn't have a plan back in, at that time, we didn't have a plan of what we would talk about. I would maybe come with a question, um, and that question would then lead us into um, all kinds of uh, conversation that would then inform what I would preach on Sunday morning, which would then open up this like wind, like old old Bible, you know, the windows of heaven would like open up over Bob as I was preaching in those days and more revelation would pour and more illumination and understanding into what the scripture really was and what sin really was and what the afterlife was about and how we were to interpret many of the harder passages in the, in the, in the Bible. And so it was like this roundabout, this just beautiful reciprocity of, you know, just co coming to the table at the coffee shop with a question and then some, some story 
that would lead to the Sunday, that would lead to more revelation, that would lead to the Tuesday. And it was just this back and forth and it just marching forward. We would just talk for hours. And I, there was no, there was at no point was it ever a dead end or ever bad news. There was never a point that, there was never a point that, um, like I would feel like I would maybe come with a parable, you know, a parable from the gospels that, that had been used to damn people, um, to hellfire and, you know, or, or use some of the epistles or some old, you know, any of these scriptures that have been used to, and, you know, really, throw the book at people and at me and had confused me over time about my sexual orientation and my place in like the kingdom of God. And I would think that you're, there's no way out of this one. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to justify this one right here. Like, like maybe some of the big ones, like if you, uh, the people that know the scripture really well, like when it says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father in heaven. And I I bring things like that to the Tuesday morning conversation. And I say that this is clear. This is really clear. And yeah, you, you would actually get braver and braver at first. I, in retrospect, and I kind of knew it at the time. I knew that because I found how well um, you knew the scripture very quickly and um, which was quite impressive because many people say they know scripture. Um, but um, I have found that most people who think they know the scripture maybe know some scriptures, but they don't really know the Bible. But you would ask me questions that you were like, this is a tough one. This is going to be a tough one. But actually, uh, if you really look at the um the questions, if we ever would have kept a record of all of those, because I kind of did an unofficial record in my head, they were actually getting much more pointed and much more difficult and much what you might say were harder scriptures and more, more bigger clobber scriptures um, like that one. If you, that sounds like there's absolutely no, if you confess me before the world I will confess you before the Father, but if you deny me before the world, I will deny you before the Father. And that and you finally it took some bravery of getting through many of the lighter ones before you'd even sometimes bring some of those because you, I think, and and me, I even told you, I said, I don't know, maybe someday you'll bring me something that when we'll look at it and I'll go, wow, I don't know. But uh, so far, all the ones I've looked at in the last 30 years, I've looked because I've been I've been studying these things forever and never looked at any one of them. I find it it's actually the harder they are on the surface, the more beautiful they are deeper down. And they're like that verse. That verse is actually one of my favorite verses now because of what it actually says in the Greek and what 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 was actually being portrayed there. It's so magnificent. But. Well, what, like, that's kind of intriguing. Just, I mean, I would love to hear that part again, because in my head, I remember how I felt when you, I mean, the tears just come to my eyes again, because, um, 
some of these texts sound so conditional and the conditional statements of scripture have been highlighted and preached from a place of authority to create fear and panic in young people in lesser informed people and and old and older people it's really ageless the amount of fear that happens with people but especially you can imagine i would say people that have just have less exposure to how how to really interpret and come to the truth of what these writers meant and the context and what the scripture is is doing for us and how it continues to speak to us today but i i think the tears come to me because i remember how i felt when you like would just so delicately um i think that's what i just love about you so much and it's just really hitting me again right now um and it's not my internet going out it's me holding back the tears um i just man i would just sit there because there is no end to the love and the favor of God. There's no, there's never a question, there's never a text that will ever stop the love of God for us. And it it always is better. And I, um, those conversations convinced me in my bones that I am the beloved where I had been convinced in my bones for the first 25, 30 years of my life that I had to earn it and I had to work for it and that I was at risk of losing my place in the beloved, at risk at losing my place in uh, even in my eternal destiny. I was... It was a fearful thing to be in the hands of God. It was a, I would wake up with in cold sweats at night to worried that if I were to die, I would, I would be in fear of hell. And then when, when I was able to finally work through that, then I was afraid that maybe God's hand of favor or blessing was removed from me, that, that perhaps I had would move the needle somewhat forward and say, perhaps I'm going to heaven and I can, I can re- receive that, but I'll live somehow sub uh, a, a second class life or, or that, that the favor, the blessing of God that once was once on me. Now God's smile is no, is not there, but God's sort of tolerating me. God will tolerate me and and let me in the back door of heaven and let me in the back door of blessings in life because 
I had such strong voices in my life from my family saying that that one day the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath you. You cannot continue um, doing whatever you want, quote unquote, and still receive the blessing and the favor of God. And so it was very conditional. And when you're looking for conditions, you will find conditions in the scripture and in the text. And a lot of people use those conditional statements to preach fear and um and works but i i mean i would love to just go back to that moment uh, when i when i brought that to you that if you confess me before me and preachers would use that for the altar call right like hey you've got to confess publicly before the congregation so if you're too scared to stand up in this assembly of two or three hundred people and confess that you're a sinner and confess that you're in need of a savior then when you get to the, the heaven and you get to the throne of God, Jesus will deny you in the same way that you've denied him here in this assembly. And I mean, with just shaking in your boots, you stand up and and with fear and trembling, you know, confess. And I don't know how many times I did that because as a teenager and as a young person, I was just scared. I was scared that, and I wanted to please God and I wanted God in my life. And I was so scared. So I brought that with me, even as an as an adult, do you remember like just that moment for us and how, I mean, there's so many of those moments. I don't, I don't expect you to remember that exact one, but. Um, oh, no, no. Um, no, that one for sure I, um, is one that uh, I can remember even um, the emotion uh, of that at that moment and so i guess we drug it out long enough for everybody who's wondering what that verse says so it's just another example uh of how unjudgmental the father is it's not about judgment it's never about judgment with us um and it's certainly not about um our doing certain magic tricks for God that that tilts his head our way then because we finally did the proper thing or enough things or confessed enough or whatever it is. And even in this case, um, in essence, what that scripture is saying is that if we confess him before men, Jesus will confess us before the father and it's the it's a picture of jesus rejoicing before the father that we so understand the goodness of god that we are even now telling people about it it's no longer something like the woman at the well who went from living a life of um fear and shame and hiding herself by going late in the day when all the other women would go first thing in the morning while it was cool. And she would go in order to remain anonymous and out of sight because the whole community knew. I mean, those people lived in those communities for hundreds of years. And so everybody knew everybody. It was worse than a small town, um, tiny town today in America. And she went from that to, be, and, G, and and her words were, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And to most people, that would be terrifying. I don't want to meet somebody who's going to tell everything I did. So obviously, 
whatever it was, the way that he expressed it and, and what she experienced in her heart, the lack of condemnation was that he told me everything that I ever did. And yet I feel so loved that you have to come and meet him and you can feel loved too. And so that's the same kind of feeling and the same kind of verse that this is. Because the second half, if you deny me before men, it doesn't say I will then go and deny you and say, Father, don't let this one in. In essence, it's Jesus going and saying, Father, forgive him. He still doesn't get it. Forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's the only judgment that God has towards sin is the words of Jesus on the cross. And that's never changed. So he he just still denies our denial before to the father and says, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Give us some more time. We're working on him. <laughs> and, um, and even that, the, the end, there's no end date. There's no, as the British say, expiry date on humanity. <laughs> uh, God has all eternity to bring us to, uh, to the understanding of the goodness of the father. But um, yeah. Oh my gosh. And I, I'm just looking at another translation right here because I'm in, it's in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, 32. Um, because you're right. It doesn't say I will deny you before my father. Yeah, actually this, this translation says, but whoever denies me before others I also will deny before my father in heaven. And it's like, he will deny our denial. Right. And, but it sounds so incriminating in the very next scripture says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've come to not come to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, great. Awesome. that's cool. Yeah, we won't go into that one. That's going to that take too long, but. Oh, we can't look that. I was going to look up in the mirror and see what he had, but he hasn't done Matthew yet. I know. I know Francois needs to do Matthew. He just has done Luke and John, I think. And yeah, and, Luke, John. Yep. Oh man, that is so good because he's he's forever the advocate and forever the defender, and forever right. the defender of the brethren, not the accuser of the brethren. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's so definitely good. no, definitely not a judgment verse because Jesus said. That the father judges no one. The father gave all judgment to the son, me. And then in another place, he said, and I'm the son. I judge no one. <laughs> so yeah. then that leaves, okay, if God doesn't do it, Jesus doesn't do it. And the father and Jesus and the spirit all agree. Then we know the spirit isn't judging anybody. Then who's left to judge us? Nobody. There's no one judging. The only ones that still want to hang on to judgment is us. And that's why he said, judge not, lest you be judged. You, you will, you're going to be living in the world of judgment if you judge others. And so the easiest way to, to get out of feeling judged is 
when we come to grips with understanding the true gospel and how forgiven we are, because Paul said, anybody who's holding things against others, the only reason they're doing it is because they have forgotten that they themselves were once forgiven, that they, they came to a place where they understood how forgiven they were. And so that's why they would say, in the same to in the same way that you have been freely forgiven, freely forgive others because the only thing that will keep you in bondage it isn't the father holding you in bondage, the only thing that keeps you in bondage is when you begin to think that and see others as being unforgiven and unforgivable, then that automatically your subconscious goes well then that's you too you're on you are you have things that are unforgivable. Which is why Paul Paul said it, you know, do you thought, think that if the God that you are talking about, that you serve, that you think is interested in judgment, the things that you're holding people accountable to and judging them for, that he won't do that for you? And Jesus said the same thing. When you're judging someone else, you're judging yourself. In fact, it's exposing the very thing that you probably hate most about yourself, the plank and the, and the speck. And um, so, yeah, and... Um, in to the same measure, the very whatever you use to forgive people is what the father uses to forgive you. It's the and it's not that he's withholding because he's always 100 percent on the you're already forgiven side. But he's just it, it is a limitation on your behalf. You're giving the vessel. I have the vessel and my vessel that I use for forgiveness is a tiny one. I'll only forgive that person a tiny bit. Then it's like, well, then you're only going to be able to see a tiny bit from the father because it's a limitation. You are creating this tiny hole for, for forgiveness to go out. So that's the only amount of forgiveness that can come in. Cause it's like a, it's like a little dimensional window. Oh my gosh. That's so good. That is so good with the measure that you use. We measured back to you, not because that's what the father wants but it's because you've limited yourself to that i we've had a a series of um of social posts this week coming out from house church from jessica and i know you're not on instagram and facebook much but they've been really cool um based on that phrase that i say a lot that rabbits know how to be rabbits and rabbits never stop being rabbits they don't ever forget but people forget people forget really easily who they are and whose they are which is why we need one another to remind one another of who we are who we're connected to and whose we are um which in the greek you're one of your favorite words is exo homo logeos that we that we cover each other and wash one another in the word and it's a funny word that in Greek that sounds funny in English to exo homo is that how it is exo homologous exo homologous yeah yeah <laughs> and and one of the first things that we learn about confession and and that is the basis for why we get together is to remind one another of God's opinion of us and good to, opinion. <laughs> God's, God's good opinion of us yeah and and to remind one another to say the same thing as to confess means to say the same thing as right. so to say to confess it, it, one another 
to confess the same thing that God says about us, which is which are good things. He is thinking right. good things of us because sin has been again nailed nailed to the cross and taken out of the way. But that's another that's a whole different thing. But the 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 social post series that I wanted to lift up was it said, you know, rabbits don't forget how to be rabbits. So you are the beloved, don't forget. And so every one of the posts says, you are the beloved, don't forget. And the reason I love that is because that is really what sin, the function of sin is, is, is it causes us to be in a state similar to what we would understand is like an amnesia that we forget who and how spacious the love and the nature of love is. And I was imagining staying connected, connected to that spacious, generous, releasing, expansive place of love that and I and I often interchange the word love with God, you know, so that people can really get that image. Um, when we forget, is when we behave in ways that are broken, um, broken and and violent. Um. It's when we forget. And and that's what, you know, that's the basis, you know, of the of the, that people love to talk so much about in John eight about, you know, they take the woman in adultery and 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 on and on the story goes. But at the very end, he says, go and sin no more. And I thought I had a really beautiful revelation of that number of years ago um, when I first preached it. And I, and I found myself before I, I didn't even have it in my notes. I just found myself saying instead of go and sin no more it was go for sin no more no longer is an issue for you that was when that was the point at which i started saying sin is no longer on the agenda in our conversation between god and i it's no longer there it, the the sin is not part of the this conversation but our friend carol wimmer took it to the next level recently and you may have a different way of saying it, but she took it to the next level. I love even more. Go and don't forget what I've done for you. Go and don't forget that you're the beloved. And that's why we say don't forget. Because it's it's really the essence of forgetting that causes us to behave in ways that are smaller than our nature. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It 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 the 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 all religions of the world, one of the things that most of them have in common is dualism. And Christianity, what, how I see it, what I've finally come to see, uh, going all the way back to the Genesis, the tree in the garden, um, is that it isn't. And even, even that, for, for many, Christianity is dualism. And it's two trees. But when I saw that it's only one tree, it's just knowledge of good and evil. And that what Genesis 2, when, when God had given them, uh, and, and com really a commandment, he said, eat freely from each and every tree. And the Hebrew for each and every is each and every without exception. And then the very next verse, but as to the tree 
of the knowledge of good and evil, which he doesn't name at the second half, because just a few verses before he says there was a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, tree of life. It's one tree. And like everything else, the, the juxtaposition and the poetry, the way that Genesis was written, there was above and there was beneath. There was the visible, there was the invisible. There was the birds in the sky, there was the fish that flew down in the water that you can't you can't directly see. There was all this above and beneath, above and beneath. So the tree's gonna be the same way. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's everything you can see. You That which you experience through our senses. But the, the tree of life is that which is what lies beneath, what is what is an invisible, that which isn't easily perceived and instantly perceived. And so the rest of the verse says um, it's actually a word that appears twice that it's not translated. And that's minimum. And apart from on the day that you eat apart from in apartness, you will die alone parted so to speak and so it's all play on words and that's exactly what we all fear what, what jesus came and actually saved us from um was the fear of death is what it says over and over it, that it was the fear of death that ultimately all fear leads back to one root and that is the fear of death and that's what he ultimately freed us from the fear of this unknown but um, that's what, what it leads to. And so it's not dualism. It's not this and that, uh, darkness is a power and light is a power, you know, um, uh, fire and water. It's always dualism. There's the, it's these two battling things. That's not it. And the woman at, at the well is the same thing. And Carol has nailed it on the head. Cause that's how I explain it too, with the woman that Jesus, what he said was, go and in this revelation that you and the joy that you're now living in remain keep it ever ever growing ever reminding yourself of this love of this joy because the opposite of that is sin it's sin is simply uh, it's remember my uh, gospel in three minutes about there's no such thing as darkness darkness you when they built the warring theaters here in town he didn't, didn't call up and order 50,000 cubic feet of darkness. Darkness isn't a thing. It is no, it's not a reality. And yet people say there's the darkness. Well, darkness is, is purely in, in essence, the absence of light. And there's no such thing as cold. Cold, the, the ultimate definition of cold scientifically is merely the absence of movement. When you get down to absolute zero, it's 400 and something below zero. That's when all the, the, even the, the, the most active of, of molecules all cease to move. And without movement, there's no friction. Without friction, there's no heat. So heat is merely the absence of movement. It's ultimate death. And so it's just the absence of heat. There's no such thing as cold. It's just an absence. You remove a refrigerator works by removing heat. And so light, there's no such darkness. Um, cold, there's no such thing as cold. It's heat. Well, sin, there's in one sense, such thing as sin. It's an absence of the love of the father. Hmm. It's an absence of the goodness of the father. The more what pure, what we call evil is the ultimate of sin concentrated isn't power a lack of it's a minimum 
It's apart from. Hmm. It is eating of life and seeing it and yet being and not recognizing that what it all is, is saying, what the, what the world was intended, according to Genesis, to be is the love letter from the father to his men to say, look at all that I've made. This is how much I love you in infinite variety and color and aroma and, and flavor and, and intensity and passions and, and all of our experiences, our emotions and, and our, our feeling, all of our senses. That was all as a gift, a grace, a carice from the Father so that we could look at the creation and absorb it. But if we forget it, and Adam didn't, he didn't keep that in his mind and he didn't teach it to his bride. She didn't know that that's what, because he said, when you eat of this, don't eat from it apart from, apart from what? Well, the part that he didn't mention, the tree of life, the roots, the, the meaning, the why, why was it created? Keep yourself in ever constant thinking of the why. And Jesus, see, he completely turns that on its head and said, what I'm about to do is going to reopen what Adam closed because Adam made the rules that you can't see God. You can't see the love of God through the creation. And that's why he said, now I'm getting ready to do something. So after tonight, every time you eat, every time you look, every time you experience life, remember me. And I, Jesus, one of his names is the tree of life. He, and the light giver, the light bearer, he's nothing but light. So he, and, and perfect love that he expressed uh, his agape serving others love is the light that gives us the, 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 the vision and the beauty of the glory and the magnificence and the love of the Father, which then casts out all darkness. Perfect love casts out all fear. Since fear it doesn't really exist, it's not a dualism. It isn't a thing. It's just a lack of. So then I'll stop because I'm going to just keep going. So good. So good. So freeing. So like, I think we got where we wanted to go. You know, I mean, I mean, at least for me, um, it, like just the elevation of my my mood is just already is lifted because of just these this little bit of in exhortation in in the in the word, and I just thank you for um, thank you for being willing to to have a conversation with me and push the record button. Thank you for um, just being willing to show up and like let it go where it needs to go and where it where it could go. And I know um, we do recognize that there were internet um, spotty issues, and so we'll take care of that on the next time. But I don't I don't want to wait for these to be perfect to post them. So people are already listening to it because it's already posted and they're listening to it and they were probably frustrated or thinking it was their own um, connection issues. But, um, you know, I think that the basic message got across and um, I think I, I know that if it, if it, if it touches me and it's impactful to me, it's got to at least be impactful to one other person. And if one other person felt a little bit of an opening for a little bit of joy and a little bit of peace. I think we did our job today and we did our joy today. So thank you. And um, we will definitely do this again. Will you do it again with me? It's fun. Yeah, that's great. All right. <laughs>
good. Well, until next time, God bless you. And may the peace of God be with you and cover your heart and mind in Christ Jesus.